be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. And I'm delighted to have along to the podcast with us all the way from sunny Australia, Dale Sidebottom. So welcome to the pod, Dale. Dan, thank you very much, mate. And to be honest, it is sunny here. It is beautiful and we're coming into summer. So it's a great time of year for us in Australia. Thank you for disappointing the rest of uh, the Northern (laughs) Hemisphere with that terrible news. As I look out into the dark night, actually it stopped raining in Wales for uh, two days, uh, which is a bit of a miracle in itself. Anyway, back to the pod and more important things. uh, A little bit about Dale. Dale is founder of energetic education uh juga life he's going to repronounce that for me in a moment because i probably got it wrong and <laughs> the fitness game so what what is it yuga life yuga yuga life yuga. Means, means play in spanish but i always get it wrong as well dan so mate yeah i'm happy with that you've got that one there legend <laughs> uh, if you can see my hands uh, are covering my eyes in sheer shock <laughs> that I can't pronounce that. Um, anyway, as you can tell, uh, he is a complete bubbling pot of incredible ways to get people involved in learning, moving, and creating better lives for themselves and for those around them. So in this podcast, I'm looking forward to finding out how he achieves this. And more importantly, I think above and beyond having a huge Rolodex. Do you have Rolodexes in Australia? In fact, I think Rolodexes have gone out of style. But a, a Rolodex, um, in the sense of a huge dictionary uh, library of games, icebreakers, and activities. So I want to know a bit more about when and how to use them. So the first question is, how do you make icebreakers really engage well i'm a big believer in it doesn't matter what you're doing dan you've got to have fun so as the instructor if you're going to run an icebreaker you have to believe in it you have to have fun and you have to just be fully engaged and throw everything into it and probably the best thing for me is and i call this a routine so for anybody listening um and if they've come to my workshops or anything like that i've got my own routine i've got my own style you need to figure out your own because you can't be a fake you've got to be authentic and if you're trying to uh, be like me then it's probably not going to work you're going to have better qualities or different characteristics than I have so for me it is finding that routine that works and then going about and what I mean by routine is finding activities that suit your personality suit your coaching type and probably resonate with the audience that you have so um That's where you just need to have trial and error until you get that routine. And now for any coaching session I do, any teaching session, any of my workshops or conferences, I've got about four different activities that is my routine that I start with. And the big thing, what I say, Dan, is when anybody starts with this, never, ever say we're going to start with an icebreaker because straight away that makes ice. People roll their eyes and they go, oh, icebreaker. Straight away, oh, we're going to go around the circle and we're going to share. Oh, hi, I'm Dale. I'm from Melbourne. Hi, I'm Dan from nobody's already listening because that's an ice maker people are that nervous because you're putting the limelight on somebody an ice breaker should be where people feel safe people are allowed to have fun they're allowed to build connections and it builds trust and you do that by never ever singling somebody out you never ever get somebody to talk in front of someone you never ever have winners or losers all right these engage i call them connection starters or engagement starters whatever you want they are all about making people feel safe 
having fun, allowing people to be a little bit vulnerable and show a different side of themselves. And you do that by playing activities that there is no winners or losers. It is all about having fun. And if you, for me, Dan, probably the best thing about a good icebreaker is if you just sit back and listen, all you'll be able to hear is laughter. All right, because when we're laughing, when we're having fun, it sets the tone for the rest of the session. And that's why I always tell people that before any session, doesn't matter if you're doing a meeting as a corporate, if you're doing a staff meeting at home, if you're starting any rugby session or whatever you're doing, start with a connection starter, some fun activity, because straight away when people play, they connect, they have fun. And I call it play-based mindfulness because a lot of the time you're playing these games, Dan, you're not thinking about anything else. You are so present, it is not funny. And if you can start with one of these activities, the energy normally follows and it flows into the rest of your session. So for me, the best way to start a session with an icebreaker is find an activity that suits your personality, your type of coaching and the clients you have and do it every time. Start a new one and, and just make it fun. All right. And if you stuff it up, it doesn't matter because then at least your players or students or participants or whoever can see that, you know, you're not perfect. Then that flows in the session. We want people to make mistakes. We want people to try new things. And you can really set those boundaries with that icebreaker at the start of your session. Now, inevitably, I'm going to ask you for some examples, uh, but I'm going to ask you, uh, probably make you sound or feel a bit vulnerable. You've, you talk about your experiences of doing this. Can you give me an example of one you've, you've done and you've felt actually that's gone wrong, but that's actually turned into a really valuable learning experience because next time I learned I, I was going to do this. So the first one is um, where it went wrong and uh, this, is how I re- this is how I've then learned. And the second one is give us a couple of examples of non-icebreaker uh, type activities that you're talking about. All right, yeah. So it, it's gone wrong plenty of times for me. I remember when I was starting out, and uh, particularly when I was still teaching. And um, I used to teach uh, for Cricket Australia, and I used to teach like the Talented Players Program. So in Melbourne, all Cricket Australia, like 16, 17, 18 year olds would come, and I'd teach them for two years. Um, and it was like a sports based program. Anyway, all these kids were like. Uh, superstar athletes and they'd come in at the start of each year and they wouldn't all know each other and I'd each year I'd do this and I'd try these games and I really believed in it but I don't know I don't think I had the right activities for the right students and obviously um, uh, the years have gone on and now I can read a group really well and I know the activities I'm going to and I'll give you a couple examples in a minute Dan but um, for the first two or three years I was in this program like it was shocking and it didn't work at all. But what it did is it allowed me to sort of laugh at myself. And I think that was something that the kids then could relax because they could see that I didn't really care. I was, a, I was allowed to make a fool of myself, but each time I did that, I was a little bit disappointed in myself because these activities weren't working. I wasn't getting the buy-in from the kids, but I suppose what it did, it has allowed them to then realize that, oh, Dale, he's, he's not a bad guy. He's going to try different things. And, and I'd pinpoint that and I'd talk about, it um but that's like anything it's like probably any session you run down there's always bad ones out there but then it's not a bad one because that's the only way we learn so for me i kept trying i kept trying and now i've got a list of activities that i know will work for anybody but the only way i sort of figured that out and this will go back to any coach listening you're not going to know an activity is any good until you try it and for different groups or different 
uh, coaching sessions, there's going to be different activities you need to use. And the only way you'll figure that out is by testing, trialing them and putting yourself out there to be scrutinized, to be laughed at, to be made a fool of. And um, I remember the first three years that happened until um, I become really confident with what I was doing. And that's sort of at that stage, that's when I decided that, right, I'm not too bad at this now. I'm going to resign from my teaching job and start doing this full time. So for me, it wasn't. Sorry, before, before, sorry, before you go on with the examples, I think something quite important is coming out here is that uh, there's, a, there's a danger that people might be listening and thinking, oh, I've got three years of an apprenticeship to learn before <laughs> I can get to that. And I think actually it's not about that is to say, I'm going to do some activities. I'll be confident that some will work, some won't. And if they don't work, it doesn't matter. As long as I can laugh at myself, I will get better. So it is a journey for me just as much as it's a journey for everybody else. So if you're listening in, you're thinking, oh, no, well, I'm not even going to bother trying. Don't. Actually try them. Some will work and you'll get some confidence out of it. And that that's that comes across from what you're saying is that it is uh, – I love the word stuff it up. That Be prepared to stuff it up. Laugh at yourself and – then, then get off, get on with it. So, sorry, I interrupted. You're going to come yeah, on to some examples. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I think a really good point there is Dan that um, the the kids and the students, so basically young adults, I think that they really gain respect for me because I was doing something that probably no other coaches were doing, you know, particularly these kids were training for cricket every day of the week. They had some of the best coaches in the land training them and it was all specific around cricket. The fun aspect wasn't there. It was so serious. So what they got from me was um, I was stuffing it up. I was laughing at myself and I was making everybody feel comfortable and safe because of the tone I was setting. So I think that is really important that um, even though the activities weren't working, they were working on another way to bring my class together, to make them feel safe and to allow them that, you know, it is okay to muck up. Vulnerability, not a problem. So I think that's the big key there is that um, our failures are lessons in another way and they'll benefit your group by tenfold um, going forward just by you being able to try something different and show them that that's okay. So um, to get into some examples, there's a couple of really easy ones and I normally start every session, every workshop I do with this one, Dan, it's called a body and mind warm-up and I talk a lot in levels and I know we might talk a little bit about gamification later on the podcast. But um, for me, I talk in levels because kids can relate to levels. So can adults. So level one, really simple. If I say walk, you need to walk. If I say stop, you need to stop. So I go walk, stop, walk, stop. Anyway, then level two, this time if I say stop, I mean walk. And if I say walk, I mean stop. So straight away, people's minds are already going. So when I say walk, they need to stop. And when I say stop, they need to walk. Then I go to level three. This time, if I say name, they need to say their name. So I'd say Dale, you'd say Dan. If I say clap, they need to clap. If I say stop, I mean walk. And if I say walk, I mean stop. So as you can see, the game's getting quite harder here, all right? Everybody sort of mucks up and laughs. But the thing about it is, and I'll talk at the end, nobody is looking at anybody else because they're concentrating so hard on what they've got to do, remember what's turned around, what's not going on. And and then level four, uh, if I say name, I mean clap, clap, I mean name, stop, I mean walk and walk, I mean stop. And after I say that, damn, people just look at me like I'm an alien and they're like, wow, what is going to happen here? Um, And we go through that. And then the last two levels is, the next one is uh, level five, if I say dance, you need a dance. If I say jump, you need a jump. If I say name, 
name will mean clap, clap will mean name, stop will mean walk, and walk will mean stop. Um, and then they're like, well, and then the last level, which is a lot of fun, they're all flipped around. So if I say dance, you need to jump, jump, you need to dance, name will mean clap, clap will mean name, stop will mean walk, and walk, I mean stop. And by the end of this, they're all mucking it up, they're all laughing. And what I do after this activity is I get them all in a circle and I say, Raise your hand if you mucked up then. Everybody raise their hand. I said, raise your hand if you laugh then. And they go, yep. And I go, right, that is what I want to flow on for the rest of our session. It is okay to muck up. It is okay to try new things. And I want you to laugh because when we're having fun, that is going to be infectious. It's going to flow onto whatever we're doing. And that is exactly what we want to do. And I say, I even mucked up my instructions there, Dan. You know, and and straight away, that just sets the tone. All right. And then I've got a couple more that I go on with. And um, for people listening, if you go to my YouTube channel, uh, just type in Dale Sidebottom. Um, there's a lot of videos on there, but there are probably about five or six uh, really good icebreakers that I've used around in conferences around the world that you can check out. And um, there's some really easy ones there with paper, scissor, rock and stuff like that, that there are no winners or losers. Everybody is involved and they're super easy to instruct. And I think the big thing that you can take away from that body and mind warm up is there are no instructions. All I say is, guys, I want you to stand up. Level one, when I say stop, you need to stop. When I say walk, you need to walk and bang, we're straight into it. So as you can see there's no uh there's no instructions there's no intention for people to think this is an icebreaker we just get straight into it uh, and I love that. And one of the things uh, that certainly one of the reasons why I'm speaking to you is because of the people in the UK who've been inspired by these ideas and uh, they're, they're using them all over the place. And that's great. Um, I'm thinking about some of my, um, I don't call them icebreakers for the very reason that you say that and uh, is just to get them feeling safe and safe is very important. And what is, what is safe uh, is uh, can be lots of different things for people, but if they're in an environment where they're, you're trying to make them learn not make them learn that sounds terrible that sounds like you're trying to force them to learn you're trying to give them opportunities to learn or be in an environment where they can they've got to be vulnerable that safety aspect is very important so from from your point of view when you're doing this what are the signs that you feel apart from laughter uh that you begin to say i feel this audience is beginning to feel safe and potentially open well, it's, it's very simple that you can just see the dynamics of a group change. And, and I use the example a lot of time. So a lot of the workshops I run around the world now for teachers or corporates, uh, there'll be people from all different walks of life that don't always know each other, Dan. And, and what normally happens at the start of a session is they're all sitting down and they're on their phones because our phones are a safety blanket. If we're, uh, we don't allow ourselves to be bored anymore, anything like that, we're, we're just sitting on our phone until I start. And what I normally do is I ask everybody to pick up their seats and push them to the side of the room because I don't I don't want anything in the way. And, and that always causes a bit of a stir as it is because people like to sit down. They think they go to a lot of learning opportunities or professional development and you sit and you listen. I don't believe in that. I believe that when we're moving, we're learning and when we're learning, we're moving. So we need to do that. And anyway, what happens is after I do that body and mind warm-up, then what I do, and I think a big thing to take away from that body and mind warm-up is that there is no touch all right. Nobody's touching anybody. And I think that is a really key that um, in these icebreakers or connection stars, whatever you want to call them, I will incorporate a little bit of touch, but you've got to build that trust. You've got to build the trust and the safety aspect in the group, Dan, before you do that. So then the next one, and I'll give you, I'm giving you my routine here. The next one is called buddies everywhere. And what happens in this one is that I will say, now, 
I want you to go and find somebody, introduce yourself, get their name. So it'd be like, hi, I'm Dale. Hi, I'm Dan. This is going to be your high five, buddy. So anytime I say high five, Dan, I need to find you. And as we high five in the air, you're going to say, Dale, I'm going to say Dan. All right. So as the instructor, I say high five. So we're going to go, Dale, Dan, and we high five each other. Then I say to the group, all right, you need to go and find somebody new, introduce yourself and be your fist pump, buddy. So anytime I say fist pump, you need to fist bump that person. They say your name, you say their name. So What's actually happening here is you're memorizing names. You're learning names as you go along, and that is so important, particularly coaching. If we know names, it's so much easier than saying, buddy, mate, cobber, legend, hero. That's not going to get the respect of the players because you're not learning their name. So anyway, the game continues. So if I go fist pump, I go and find that person. I say their name. High five. I come back to you, Dan. We say Dale, Dan, and so on. Then there's another four of those examples. And what happens by the end of it? People are running around laughing, remembering names. And after 10 minutes, so the body mind warm up and that buddy's everywhere, the group is completely changed. And I say, let's think back to 10 minutes ago. What were you doing? And people say, well, we are sitting down. We didn't really know each other. And I say, well, what's happened now to the group? And they're like, well, now we're all laughing. We're sweating because we've been running around. We've all been laughing and we're having fun. And I'm like, beauty. And straight away then I go, well, that's what we're going to do for the rest of the day. And they already know people. They feel safe. And there have been a little bit of touch, you know, high fives is a handshake and different things like that. So for me, if you get the right routine of connection starters at the start of a session. And I always say connection before content. So with those two activities alone, I've built the connections. And now I can go and teach them whatever I want, any rugby skills, any cricket skills, anything in the classroom, anything if we're doing a board meeting or whatever, because we've got the safety net built and that culture within the group is extremely strong. I love the word cobber. I'm going to use that uh, more often than I uh, have been before. All right, so beautifully powerful ways to make connections with new groups and immediately i'm thinking where i could have used them more effectively myself and when when's the best to use them now let's i'm going to make you level up now so level one is a new group level two is week four with the same group now do you use uh, inverted commas icebreakers at the start of the session or do you not need to use them is there another way that you start a session with a group that you're more familiar with yeah really good question Dan. I love that because this is where people you know they'll have their routine at the start um, but you need to constantly be challenging the players because they what I get and I, I do a lot of sessions and I'll the, the same club will get me to come back particularly Australian rules football I do a lot of sort of fitness sort of fun team building sessions for these and what happens is that they come and they want something new. They don't want the same thing and you need to be constantly progressing. So after probably the fourth, fourth week, I would be into some, and I'm sure you've used these before in rugby, but um, some partner sort of workouts where you might play knee tag where you're facing somebody, you're schooling down and it's the first player to touch the other person's knees three times. So you'd go into that. Then you might play hip slap. So instead of hitting their knees, you've got to slap their hip. Then you might play toe touch where you put your hands on each other's shoulders and you've got to step on the other player's toes three times. Once you've done those three, then I get into a little bit more complex stuff. And one of them I love using is called Rooster Rumble. And what happens with Rooster Rumble, Dan, is that both players need to get down. So again, you're playing with one person, so you'd always mix the pairs up after each game of these. So this would be on your fourth pair. Your hands go on to your ankles and you've got to try and 
bump around as a rooster without your hands coming off your ankles and try and knock over the other player. All right. Now it becomes quite fun. And, and again, these, there's about 10 of these I've got on um, my YouTube channel. And this was, these were some of the first ever videos I did and they've been huge hits. So then from Rooster Rumble, I finish off with a game called Crazy Bear. And what this happens is, is you're in a plank up on your hands or a prone or whatever you want to call, and you're trying to first just tag your partner's hand. Then you go, it's Crazy Bear time. And it's the first player to rip the other person's arm out from under them. So they land on their face. So obviously you've got to be playing on grass, Dan. And what happens is people get super competitive. And from that there, these games seem fun, but they are so, so engaging. And people get so competitive that they are blowing. They're so engaged with what they're doing. And they're laughing again. And it doesn't matter if you win or lose. I never, ever say, all right, who won more than the other person? Because nobody cares. What these activities do is it builds laughter, fun, connection, and it gets them moving before a start of a session. So that's a really good one. Also, um, uh, some other good ones, I use a musical workouts where um, I'll get a song that's got a lot of repeated words in it. So, for example, The Police, uh, Roxanne, every time it says Roxanne, I think it's about 45 different times in that song, that they might do, they might be in a plank and they might have to do a burpee or something like that. Justin Bieber, the song, What Do You Mean? He says, what do you mean 27 times? All right. So you can get them in a squat hold every time he says, what do you mean? You might do two star jumps and you go back down into a squat hole. All right, so there's all these different things that players don't normally do for a warm-up or it's something new to them and it really builds engagement and fun because they're excited. They haven't done it before and it's a different than our typical warm-up. And this, for any coaches out there, mix your warm-ups up. If you're doing the same one over and over and over, that's not good enough. You need to be engaged because the first five minutes of every session, Dan, is crucial and then the last five minutes. You need to build the fun and safety at the start of a session and then to finish it off, I always finish with something fun because people always remember the start or the end. What you do in the middle is when you can get your skills done or whatever, but you need to start with the energy and finish with the fun. Now, another thing which is coming out here is there's a lot of pairs work, which I'm uh, increasingly a bigger fan of because I'm finding group work, uh, people can get very quickly lost. If you're the fourth person in the group, you may not be as active as uh, the two more dominant people. And the other thing about these pairs thing is, as you say, if you're working in a pair and there's, say, 20 people in the group, you don't know who's won. You can, as a coach, you can look across and see who's winning. And you're also saying mix them up as well. So there's lots of individual work. And as you say, there's more physical activity, but they now know each other and they feel, they feel more comfortable in that. So I'm going to jump, jump on now to uh, something which is a bit deeper and something that we've talked about a little bit before. Uh, and that's the idea of culture. Now, one of the things I know that you do is you go in and help teams or corporate groups work on developing a good culture which suits them so when you are going in to these situations what are the first steps that you use or you introduce to help them create the culture which suits them the right culture it's, it's a great question and a lot of time I get corporates or school places or clubs saying this is what we want to achieve and this is how we want to do it and I say all right yeah no worries I'll do it like that but I don't because um, they don't know exactly what they want because they haven't experienced what I'm going to show them and I know that might sound a little bit arrogant and I'm not trying to be arrogant here but a lot of time people have a view or perceived opinion of what they think they need until they try something different and then they're like wow that's completely different but that's what we needed because it does 
does that. So like I just said before, it is all about picking those right connection starters and how you start any session. Because a lot of the time then I roll in and people look at me and, and as much as you say these people don't judge, but they do. I'm quite young for what I go into and I work with a lot of older people a lot of time and straight away they judge me like, oh, what's this young guy doing? Um, I just wear T-shirt and shorts. I have runners on. I never dress up because that's not my personality. And straight away people judge. And so what I like to do at the start is I don't tell them anything about myself. And I think this is a problem when we get coaches or we get presenters or anybody. The first thing they'll do is they'll stand up and say, hi, my name's Dale Sybottom. This is what I've done. This is, and, and people don't care. Nobody's listening because you have not built that connection before you start doing it. So to create a powerful, positive culture, you need to have those connection starters. Like I just said, Dan, you need to go in there and it's not anything about uh, who you are or anything like that, you need to get them to feel what you want them to sort of get out of the session. And how you do that is, again, you build that energy. So energy is infectious. And if you come in with energy, that'll replicate everybody. So is confidence and so is happiness. So if you come in confident, energy and happy, that will reflect in the group. And then what happens is that you start talking about the things that happen in these games, you know, like the connection, people have been vulnerable, you build the safety and the trust through the games, and then that really flows. And everything I do relates back to the games. And what it does, I talk about the transformation from when I started to that 10 or 15 minutes after, how everybody's changed, how everybody's connecting, the activities and movements they've done. And I say, right, that is what we're going to flow onto it. And then basically I can sell whatever I want them to do or whatever outcomes they want because I've won them over. They're willing to listen because they're having fun. All right. So I believe creating a really powerful culture comes with having fun. If you're having fun with whatever you're doing, Dan, it's going to reflect in your work, in your connections and the culture that you build. And you do that by the way you start any session. If you start a boring, dull, sitting down, going through slides, telling people who you are, that is a, not a really powerful way to start. You haven't impressed them. If you go in all guns blazing and you make it fun, engaging, like I've just said, you build those connections, then you can relate back to it and it just really builds that culture and allows you to then dive really deep into whatever the outcomes of that organisation or team want to really achieve. I don't want to put a dampener on this enormous amount of energy that is flowing uh, across continents towards me, uh, but I'm sure that some coaches are thinking, well, this sounds, sounds all very good, well and good, but I'm always going to be faced by one or two players or one or two people in the group who've arrived and they've got a face like a slapped something or other, and they're not. In their lives at that moment, something's not going quite right, or just generally they're a bit quieter. And you can see that they're on the sidelines or they, they're just not engaging with it. Now, I know that uh, not everybody is going to be uh, struck by the, the bullet straight away and just jump out, jump out of their skin and uh, live, live for the moment. So there, are, there must be ways that you can then spot that and then just help them maybe get along on to somewhere near the journey that you want to be um, with them. So how, how do you do that? Yeah, and, and Dan, that's, again, I, I always say, I know you said this last week on my podcast, but never say it's a good question, but it really is. And and people, we will always, you're not always going to impress everybody. And this is a really 
it used to dig me deep and I'd think, why isn't that person liking what I'm doing? And and the honest truth is that it doesn't matter who you are, what coach you are, you're always going to get somebody that doesn't agree with what you're doing or doesn't believe in the process or what you're trying to instruct to them. So my thing is, Dan, that and this is why I say I've got four activities at the start of any session. And anybody listening, you're never going to be the same as me. I'm never going to be the same as you, Dan. And listeners, you're never going to be the same as us because you've got your own unique style, all right? And that's what you need to really hone in on. So what I do, Dan, is I don't care about that person who doesn't buy in. I ignore them because I've got 95% of the rest of the group loving life. So I focus all my energy on the ones that are really engaged. If somebody doesn't like me, my presentation style or what I'm going to do, then that's their bad luck. But what I normally find is after the four activities, because I don't give them any attention and a lot of the time, that's what they want. They want that attention because I don't give it to them and I focus on the people having fun. Normally, that person, I guarantee 99% of the time, that person by the end of the four Activities is joining in and having as much fun as anybody else because they see everyone else. They're like, oh, maybe I should give this a go. All right. Whereas if you, and this will be the same any coaching session, if you just focus on the one participant or the two participants that are not agreeing with what you're doing or not liking your style, then you're really upsetting the the, the rest of the group. There are investing that are buying into what you're doing. So for me, as hard as this is, because um, as coaches, instructors, everything like that, Dan, and you'll know better than anyone that it does eat you up. You can see that they're not enjoying it, but the, the best thing you can do is don't give them any attention. Don't give them your energy and focus on the people that are loving it. Because if you keep that going, you'll eventually transform everybody into that larger mentality pack. And it's one of the lessons that was taught to me very early on in teaching is that you can't, though you have to care about everybody, you're not going to get everybody every single time. And if your focus is then taken away from the way that you are and the way that you want to go by just looking after that one person, then they can drag, they can drag everything down. I think that's, that's, that's going to give a lot of people a lot more confidence that uh, when they are actually out there and they're trying their very best and there's one or two people who look like they're not enjoying it so much, well, maybe next time. Uh, but you can't, you can't be all, all things to all people. Um, which is an important lesson. Right, I'm going to go to a slightly different line. Um, Now, you keep talking about games, and both of us are big fans of using games um, as much as possible. Not all the time, but as much as possible, for me anyway. Um, Now, where do we go wrong with games when we put them out there, and how can we make them better? Yeah, and and again, this is something I see a lot, and and it's – just because I think a lot of traditional training sessions or whatever, you know, there's lines, there's cones and all different things like this. But to go back to really the best way to play games, I feel, is what you just mentioned before in pairs, Dan, because the best thing about being in pairs is that you can't hide that you need to be participating because if you're not, then your partner can't play the game. And also that you don't actually know what anyone else is doing, all right, because you're concentrating so hard on yourself. So, again, it is really good for, you know, maybe, for example, say, Dan, you're the best in the group and everybody knows it. 
Dale here, myself, I'm a battler and I know that everyone watches me and I've got low self-confidence, everything like that. But when I'm paired up, nobody is watching me, so I feel safe and I can go about working on my skills in a safe, controlled environment because I know nobody is going to judge me because they're so engaged with what they're doing. So when it comes to games, one of the biggest issues I have that there's winners and losers, people are sitting out or that they're, you know, not everybody's engaged or not everyone's playing. So when it comes to games, I always like to play modified games where nobody can hide. So, for example, if you're playing rugby, you might play three-on-three or you might play a a pairs activity or something like that where nobody can sit at the back because if you're sitting in the back in a a team or a pair, then one person's doing all the work or two people doing all the work and it's not going to work. So if you are going to use games, and I'm using rugby terms obviously because this is a predominantly your listeners, Dan, that there should never be any cones. There should never be any winners or losers and nobody should ever be sitting off. If people are sitting off, get them to start another game, get them to be doing something else because too often there's too much downtime in our sessions. And um, for one of the examples I use is uh, when I was teaching PE in London that we'd only have one hour of PE a week with the students. And what I found is if I was talking too long or we're playing games and a team was sitting off, they may only be participating for 25 minutes of the hour and that's all they'd get for the week. So the biggest focus I have with games is either working pairs, working small teams so nobody can hide, never any winners or losers, and everybody's always participating. So um, sometimes that's not possible, but more often than not, if people can be moving, playing, and engaged, they're going to improve, even if it is a small-sided game and it doesn't even, it's not even like a normal game of rugby or a normal game of cricket or whatever, but they're always doing something. And that's the whole thing beside, you know, training is that you want to be engaged, you want to be focused, and you want to be moving. And the only way you're going to be doing that is not by watching, but it's by participating and figuring out small-sided games or different rules that may help you when you go and play on the weekend in your proper sport. Congratulations, Dale. I've jumped you to level seven with this question then, um, which is going to be a right old challenge for you. I love games. Uh, what happens then, and you will have known this from teaching uh, teaching in PE, you will have a large range of abilities and competitive nature. So games are great if the players are relatively close in competitive nature and skills. What happens when you've got people at two ends of the spectrum? How do you, how do you help involve them? Yeah, Dan, so when it comes to obviously, and, and as I said, it, if you want, if you're a coach and you're really struggling with different abilities, and and particularly in our junior ranks, we we get this quite a lot. You know, kids are from all different backgrounds. They've um, had different coaching and things like that. If you want to really learn from someone, go and watch a primary school PE teacher with thirty kids from all different ranges. Because Dan, they might have you in the class who can run, kick, catch, throw, leap, do it all, and you're the best in the class. But little Dale here, I'm, I'm a battler. I sit at home, I play Fortnite all day. I'm on my iPad playing Angry Birds. I can't catch a ball. I can't run and I am really uncoordinated. So how do we make it? So you're getting a really good workout, Dan, but then little Dale is also enjoying PE so that we teach him to be a lifelong learner and that he doesn't just come to PE and go, I hate PE because I'm no good at it. I always lose. And and this is the issue I have. So when I, play, when I used to do this, and this all started for me in London when I was 
teaching at Ravenscourt Park Prep in the middle of London at um, in Hammersmith. It was a fantastic school, but um, it was my job. I was in charge of the cricket program there. And what I found was that kids didn't like cricket because it is a very complex sport and it's hard to hit the ball. So what I would do is I would make modified games. And instead of just playing a big game where there was all fielders and everything, I would play three-sided games where there's a batter, a bowler, and a wicketkeeper. And the games would go, there'd be different rules, and I'd get the kids to make their own rules up. All right, what's the rule that you could have today? All right, what's your rule you want to do? And what that happens is when you get kids to get creative and create their own rules, they actually really get the buy-in because it's their game. They're making the rules of it. But then what I do as well, Dan, and I call this sort of a game within a game, and this is where sort of game-based learning comes into it, that I would introduce things like Jenga, Connect Four, Snakes and Ladders, all right, where, so for example, if I was playing Connect Four cricket, and this was a huge hit with the kids, that each time they got a wicket or they hit a run or whatever they wanted to do, instead of scoring a run, they would go over to the Connect Four game and they would pick their colour and they would put that in the board. They'd go back, they'd play their game, they'd continue. Then there might be another small-sided game going on next door to them, all right, and one of the batter might be on yellow and the bowler might be on red or whatever, and same again, whenever they scored a run or got a wicket, then they would put in a connector as well. So you've got different games of cricket going on. Everybody's doing something. So when you've got a three-sided game, if you're the keeper, you're the fielder as well. If you're the bowler, you're the fielder as well. If you're batting, then there's a lot of chance that you're going to be doing a lot of running and batting because there's no other fielders. So everybody's engaged. And what you said before is, that the more able is the students know who are the better kids in the class. So you can pair them off or put them in threes. And then the the less able, like Dale, the little battler and his little mates that are no good at sport and don't like it, they can go off and make their own rules up for their own game. So they actually enjoy it. So they're engaged and they don't feel threatened. But then what happens is because it's a game within a game, Dan, and you've got Connect Four going on, that it just this whole like, realm of engagement goes through the roof because they're playing cricket, but they're playing Connect Four. All right. And you can do that with so many different sports and what I find there is that yes people will say that well that's not practicing an actual game of cricket but it's practicing more it's getting the kids to be creative it's getting them to use their imagination and create their own rules that suit them and also there's all different games going on so they're dodging balls they're dodging people they're looking at other things they've got different games going on and it's amazing what happens when you sit back as a coach or the teacher or the instructor and I didn't actually create the games I just gave them a bat and a ball and a stump and said go and create your own game but when you score something in that game you're putting something in connect four game so then after it that's when the learning takes place all right so what do we do today and the kids will sit back and say well we created our own game we were scoring runs this way we thought that it was um you could put two tokens in if you're able to hit the ball here because it's a lot harder and i'm like you're just sitting back and as a teacher i was like i didn't do anything i allowed the kids to and it's amazing what happened that these kids wouldn't want to leave and so from there for me as a level where you're saying I'm at level seven. I'm like, how can I keep going to get these kids engaged? And I would have parents in the year going, my kids never enjoyed cricket before. They're no good at it. But for some reason, they want to play Connect Four cricket. They go, what is that? I said, we have to ask them because they made their own game up. I didn't. Um, So too often, I think as coaches, we're telling them what to do instead of allowing them to create their own thing. And, And what happens then is that their problem solving skills go through the roof. And in a game or in a challenging situation, they can handle these because at training, They've had to design everything themselves. They've had to communicate with each other and they're always doing something because, again, it's like when you mentioned before, in pairs or in threes or whatever, that there's nowhere to hide. Everybody's got a voice and everybody's involved. I think that's very important to reiterate here. Well, first of all, how fantastic that is and how exciting that must be 
be as a teacher to be involved in that and get that feeling is that uh, we talked about the icebreakers at the start we talked about the culture at the start you cannot do that um, minute one of day one of training you can't just rock up and say right we're going to play connect for rugby or connect for cricket or whatever sport you are you have to build up to that right. and there are a number of steps before you can get there so um, I I'm just trying to think about what those steps are and when you're ready just to step over into allowing them to be take charge of the games. Can so can you give us some guidance on on those steps? Is I don't think it's going to be minute one of day one, no. uh, but it, I, and I'm sort of sense it's probably not going to be uh, session one of day one. Uh, so just give us some sort of guidance on to give co- coaches confidence to know when to start to really push push these uh, boundaries yeah well and, and again i'm going to keep using cricket or would you prefer me to use a rugby uh sort of no, example cricket, cricket's good well that's because uh, okay. uh, it's just getting the sense of the sporting um the sporting understanding because coaches can then um uh, layer that into their uh, or uh, put that onto their own games yeah, so what I what I always do, and my first session with any group, any kids, anyone like that, it's it's never got anything to do with the sport. Yes, we might be doing some like actual skills of it, but it'll always involve those connection starters, like I talked at the start. Or mm. I love using dice and cards, Dan, and the reason being is that they're always randomised. I love using dice because nobody can just keep rolling sixes or ones. It is all luck. So what it does is it brings the playing field down, and I'll always create warm up like this and so for example um i might say if you roll a one you need to, for cricket you might do uh left hand throw if you roll a two it might be right hand throw if you roll a three it might be bowl the ball if you roll a four you might have to uh throw a ball up and hit it to your partner and then five and six might be a push-up or a sit-up because i always like incorporating a little bit of fitness in there anyway you roll the dice whatever you get you need to do 10 of it then you might run and touch a wall you come back you roll the dice again you do another 10 of it so you might play that game for five minutes all right and then what they've done there is they're super engaged. They're running, they're moving, they're working together. And again, you'll see that they're in pairs. All right. Again, I love using pairs. Um, from there, then we might make it into a game, into a competition. All right. How many can you complete in five minutes with your partner? Each time you complete one roll and the 10 of that, it's one point. All right. So they go about doing that. Off they go. And at the end, I'd say, did anyone get over five? They all put their hand up and say, beauty. Well done. That is awesome. I never say who got the most because I don't care. And I don't ever want my sessions to be about who got the most. I wanted about people engaged and pushing each other in their partnership. So from that, then we might get out some a deck of cards. And in the deck of cards, if they get a heart, it might be um, bowl uh, ball. If it might be a diamond, it might be overhand throw. If it might be a uh, spade, it might be underarm throw. And if it's a club, it might be hit the ball off the ground, right? And then again, they pull one of those cards over, whatever suit it is. So, for example, hearts was bowl the ball over and it was a six of hearts. So they need to do six of those before they get another card. And off they go. So as you'll see, what they're doing is they're determined the reps or the movement by the card or the dice. And they're practicing all these skills. And what they're doing is I never tell them how far they need to bowl. All right. I never tell them how close they need to hit the ball. Then it's all up to them. And what you find is most kids or adults or whoever will go to the correct distance, you know, the 22 metres or 20 yards or whatever a pitch is, and they'll do that distance. And and from there, you'd finish the session off. You finish off with something fun. You go, all right, now, 
that wasn't cricket today, but what were the skills we worked on? And again, they'll be able to say they're all the skills that we need for cricket. And as the weeks progress, I would start getting them into then so some small-sided games. So we had the three-on-three, three, like I mentioned before, and I would give them some guidelines. And I might just say, right, here's the one rule that you need to have. You need to have a batter, a bowler, and a keeper. Right? You need to go out and figure it out. I'd stop them after a minute and I'd say, right, now you need to incorporate another rule and you need to incorporate a scoring system. All right? And then they'll get that scoring system I play for 10 minutes. I go, right, beauty. Now what you need to do is you need to find another group of three and you're going to teach them your game with your scoring system and then they'll teach them their game of scoring system. And what happens there is it, that's the most magical thing as a coach that you can see because you're sitting back and one of the hardest things for our young athletes to do is communicate, to tell each other what they're doing. But for some reason, the respect's there because they've created this game and now they're coaching another team. They're instructing them. They're playing that game with them. You roll back and then by the third or fourth week, like we just said, that's when you introduce a Connect Four. They are well aware of what they can do. They've already had experience of it. But as you'll see again, I never created any of those games. All right? I never told them how they need to score a run, how they need to score anything. And it's just magical when you allow the learning to take place from their creation and their imagination. It is simply amazing, Dan. And so much gold. Uh, I think one piece of gold in particular, which you you said, and you moved so quickly on to something uh, equally important, is the words you said, how many of you scored five? Rather than how many of you scored the most, you give them a level, and you know they're pretty much going to get to it, and... uh, They've said they've said they've all achieved five, and there's a sense of achievement in there. Uh, so the next thing is, I'm thinking, uh, as this is going on, week one, week two, week three, week four, you set them off in the task, and you don't stand back uh, 40 yards from it and watch. What are you? Well, you may do. What are you actually doing as they are playing these games? What is your role? What are you saying, or what are you not saying, to allow them to? really take control of what what you want them to do yeah well it really depends on the group some groups that you'll you'll set this up then and to be honest as a teacher you don't need to do anything because they're they're peer teaching they're coaching each other and so forth like that but for example the school that i was teaching in london i had some really able cricketers but then some kids that just never played before but so what I'd do then is I'd sort of go and work with the kids that really needed my attention, all right? And I'd help them just with bowling or holding the bat and things like that. And it wasn't really essential. And one of the best things I found that I would do with that is that I would go over and I'd join in each of the games. I'd say, can I play? And then I'd say, right, while I'm playing, I want you to explain the game to me. So the kids are now teaching me. And I, you sit back and you think that's a very simple concept, but too often our coaching sessions, it's one-way traffic. It's all what we are telling the kids, but that's not when learning takes place. Learning takes place when they have created something and then they're teaching us. That is learning. And so for me going around, I just, it was, I, I, I still remember this and I use it in so many sessions because this is when I first started doing it in London. Um, it was just so amazing. I'm like, these games are so cool. And I never pinpointed one game and being better than others because they're all different. They all had their own unique things. So for me, the best thing I could do was not interrupt, but it was getting involved. It was allowing them to show me. And they were so proud of their games. They were so proud of the rules that they have created. And I'd get them to make a name up for it. Or what's your special game called? And they'd tell us at the end. And um, the kids were beaming. And so what I would need to do is just join in, just be part of the session and let them coach me. And I know that sounds 
sounds really basic. And at the end of the day, I would go around and I'd fix up some bowling techniques or batting and, and things like that. But one of the things I've found in particularly cricket and rugby and things like that, who's to say that my way of teaching the correct techniques right? That, you know, these days people are playing lap sweeps, lap pulls, um, ramp shots, all these different things that um, if I had told the kids, you know, have a high elbow, um, step to the ball, play through it, then that not may not be the right way. If they can hit a ball, go and hit the ball. So for me, the best thing as a coach, Dan, was simply allowing myself to be taught and coached by the students. Now, one of the things you've talked about a number of times during that is the technical side of things and I can sense that the the danger or the, the alarm bells that some coaches will be thinking is during this uh, and I'll use the cricket analogy uh, when I get to it but let's say you want to try and kick the ball or um, pass the ball more effectively and you can see that uh, whatever the technique they're using is in a in a ineffectual for what they need to do so for instance um, when you're bowling the ball you really want to have your fingers uh, to start off with down the seam rather than spread across the seam because that just makes it uh, that makes it a bit better to bowl um, and you want to roughly get your arm quite vertical now I know that um, <laughs> I know I love my cricket and I might be uh, saying some things which are wrong, but if you can see somebody is making the effort, but really technically they are well off, how do you create those interventions which allow them to um, learn in the way that you want them to learn without becoming too much of a tell coach? Yeah, and, and again, it's a really hard thing to do. But what I find is if you've got small groups, so groups of three and one and two of them might be doing it really well, Dan, but one isn't, then you can go up to that group and say, guys, I love the game. Can I just, I just want to show you something that I believe works. And you can give them a demonstration of how to do it. And what it does then is it it doesn't stop all the other groups from playing their games. They're still able to keep going on with it, but you're able to give direct feedback to that student or that athlete that needs it in a non-threatening way. So not just pulling, oh, Dale, can you come over here? You're a really bad bowler. I'm going to help you and everyone else keep playing. What it does, it doesn't allow that student to realize, and deep down they probably know they can't do it well. But what happens is that you go over and you just work with the three of them and you work with all of them. And it's a really nice way of doing it so that people don't go, oh, yeah, I, I know I'm no good at this. Because when you start saying you're no good, that negative self-talk comes into it. I'm no good. I've never been a good bowler. I'm never going to get this. It, it's a really, really bad mentality to get into our young athletes. And when they can't do something, I'm going to start saying I'm no good. I shut down and I don't want to try. Whereas if you can get a group of three of them to say, look, I'm going to I'm going to show you how I think I reckon you should do this and then go about showing them technique. And then you might be to get that other kid aside afterwards and give him a little bit more of a technique and a little bit more of an idea. But when you can pinpoint three at a time, and that's why I love three-sided games or twos or or even fours or whatever, is because you don't interfere with everybody else that's probably already doing it properly and getting a lot out of the game. You're picking up on the students that really need your help and you're doing it in a non-threatening way. So thinking about session design here and uh, building all these things in together. So let's say you've got uh, an hour with the students um, how many different activities are going to happen during that session and how many times are you going to be changing up to a, a new type of game? Yeah, well, it, it depend. if this was still, if we're talking about session four, um, mm. and by this stage, the, and the way I'd progressed is that I'd done my fun starter one, I'd built the ice, um, I'd got all that done. And then the next two weeks, so session week two and three, were all about designing their games 
picking out the rules, pro-teaching each other. Then what I might do is now in the session four, if I could see certain groups were working really well, see more able groups, then I might say, all right, now you're going to play three on three, all right? And so there'd be two batters, there'd be a bowler, there'd be a keeper, um, and then there'd be two fielders. And so then they might play a sort of short modified game, all right? So it's a little bit more like cricket. And because these students are all able, they're able to play that game and they're at a similar ability. Whereas the students that are still sort of struggling with the concept and not getting it, they may not be able to bowl, they may not be able to hit the balls, then they would still be playing these three-sided games where the reason being is there's no winning or losing, um, and they're still practicing and they're always doing something. So they're not fielding. Um, they are batting, they are bowling and so forth like that. And normally they're playing against students that are similar ability. So yes, there's a lot of different things going on. But what I find is that to answer your question at the start, what do you do with all different abilities? You need to scale your sessions so that you're more able uh sort of more simulating to a normal game of cricket, but they're still engaged. There's not 11 fielders and they're not just standing there all day. They rotate, they might bat for six balls and then two new batters come in. Whereas the less able ones, they're the ones I can still work with and help out and give that guidance because there's only three of them, all right? And again, they're not feeling threatened or they're letting anyone down because, you know, you've got two games of six students going on. They're, they're the 12 best in your team, whereas the other five games of three going on, all right, they might be your lower ability ones and they're still able to practice, enjoy, and they may never be the best cricketers, but at least they're having fun. They're creating their own game and they're laughing. And for me, that's what I want. I want them coming to my sessions, Dan, and saying, I'm really enjoying this. I'm loving this. And the reason being is because they're doing something. They're not being judged. They're not feeling threatened. And they're challenging themselves in a fun way. They're never going to go on and play for England or Australia in the Ashes. Some of my more able might play district cricket or they might go on and, and represent a county or something like that. But they're all getting challenged and they all feel safe and they're all having fun. And I think that's the biggest thing that you need to take away from all of that. Now, one of the things that you've been talking about, um, I'm touching on as we've been talking is about this idea of gamification and more and more coaches are becoming aware of it and wanting to introduce it into their sessions. So uh, I want to think about sort of the introductory level gamification and uh, give some sort of pointers to, say, the novice coach, coach who's maybe not coached as uh, maybe coached for maybe one or two years and sees that there's power in it. How can they build that into their sessions? And, yeah, with gamification, I think it's really misunderstood that people think, yeah, we just go and play games. It, it, it's definitely not that at all. And um, for people listening, if you want it, the best – there's a lot of books out there on gamification, but the best book I've ever read is by Yukai Chow, and it's called Actionable Gamification. And basically the, the the one thing that really resonated with me, and this is where I got the idea from, Dan, is that Yukai reckon – think school is like a game. So when you think about it, each the kids always start, for example, um, at the bottom in reception or prep or whatever, and each year they level up. So each year they get to the next level, which is obviously going up a grade. And during that time, there might be reading awards, spelling awards, PE awards, and different things like this. There are leaderboards for merits and stuff like that. And these are all things you see in games. You know, if you look at most games, um, people play so they want to get higher on the leaderboard. They want to earn more badges, all right? They want to get to the next level, all right? Right? So schooling is just a really poor design game because if you said to students, do you want to play games 
or do you want to go to school? And they're both similar. You work your way up and you do these things. The game development is so far advanced, right? They suck people in. And when you read you guys' book, I think there's like 180 different game elements that you can use and things like beginner's luck. So, for example, if you're starting out at something, you want to have a little bit of luck. And most games will allow you to win a little bit at the start so you get hooked into it. But as the game progresses, it becomes harder, right? There's all different things like that. And the one thing I love, and probably the biggest area when I present on gamification or different things like this, I love narrative. All right. Now, if you look at most games, there is a story behind it. Somebody's been kidnapped or you've got to do this. And again, I love using narrative in coaching sessions. So that's where a lot of this scenario based sort of learning comes into it. That Here's a scenario. For example, cricket, there might be four overs left. There's uh, fielders, there's five deep. All right. There, there's nobody straight. You've got to try and be able to get seven and over in this way, all right? And you paint the picture, you tell the story. And for me personally, if you can make a narrative about any coaching session um, or there's a game going on and you need to be able to do something to get to the next level, uh, the power of storytelling is something that, and that's really where gamification for me is, particularly in coaching. If you can base a narrative around what you want participants to do, it is going to really encourage that. And obviously leaderboards and badges and all these different things, they're all different parts of gamification. But for me, if I was someone starting out with gamification, I would read Yukai Chow's book because it is game changing. It is the best one ever. And that analogy to a school being a, a really poorly designed game is so true. Um, and just pick a couple of little elements and start trying to incorporate those into your sessions. Don't start out and, and try and make the most elaborate thing ever. It's like everything. It's like with the connection styles, the ice breakers, I said at the start there, you've got to start small, take small steps and find out what elements of gamification you like resonate with you and the students or participants that you're coaching i love the idea of the beginner's luck or uh we used to i suppose in golf it's the mulligan um and having played a lot of cricket as well and been in in net sessions uh, uh six balls 10 runs to get and as you yeah. say you set the field and uh, you always argue exactly how fine fine leg <laughs> is and uh, whether extra cover can actually catch that bullet you've just hit towards him uh, that is that's great. Now, when I'm sometimes with those games and those leaderboards, um, I'm thinking about some of the things we've been talking about: safety and fun and enjoyment and inclusion. That um, a player will find themselves in the game and then they lose. Now, one of the great things about say playing games in say Call of Duty or um, and I'll show my age here. I can't probably think of anything else other than Call of Duty. Is that um, you? You uh, respawn very quickly. Someone please save me from yeah, my... Yeah, no, that's uh, good, that's good. You re respawn very, very quickly so you can play again. But uh, there's quite a lot of finality about, say, uh, you've got to score uh, 10 off the last over because at the end of it, you don't respawn, then someone else comes in and bats. So I'm just trying to think how we, again, we can just take some of the edge off that and create realistic narratives which don't uh, give too many cliff edges. So there were, that's about five metaphors mixed in. <laughs> so no, uh, can, you, can you think of some examples of ways of trying to create meaningful experiences within games where the players aren't feeling so under pressure? And I'll just, just continue a little bit because I know we talked about pairs and threes and there we are where you can hide it very easily and within that. How might you be able to do that in a bigger group? 
Mm. And again, and and this is where uh, talking about all this stuff, Dan, some will work for some groups, some won't. But as a coach, we need to be constantly pushing ourselves and challenging ourselves to find what works for our group. And like I just said there when I was teaching in London that, uh, you know, small-sided games worked really well. But then when I got back to Melbourne um, and I was teaching uh, every every Wednesday morning, we'd go to the MCG, the Melbourne Career Ground, and we'd train in the underground high-performance nets. And the 30 kids I had in my class, they were elite cricket. And so playing two-side um, pairs games and threes games weren't going to be enough for them. So an example that I use there is, is that's when I had leaderboards because these kids needed that. They needed that drive. They needed to see their name, and that really motivated them. Whereas with the younger kids, there was no way I'd ever talk about who won or who lost. It was all more about just being part of it, participating, creating your own game, and, and you know, just enjoying the sport so that they want to participate when they leave me in the primary school setting. So what I did with uh, my talented players class was I introduced cards and dice. And the reason I did this is because um, we went through scenarios, we did all this, but they were already doing this in their coaching sessions. You know, as I said, they were training every day. So what I did there is I made it so my bowlers, there was four per net, they'd have a dice up the end where they were bowling. And each time before they bowled, they'd roll the dice and whatever number on that ball, uh, the dice, that means what ball they need to run in a bowl. So one was a Yorker, two was a bouncer, three was a half volley, four was a slow ball and, and so on like that. So for example, if my bowler rolled a one, they need to come in and roll bat- by a, sorry, bowl a Yorker. But then the batters, they didn't care what bowl was going to be bowled because the non-striker would ha- hold up a playing card. Now, if the suit of that was a heart, they need to hit the ball straight. If it was a club, they need to hit it to square leg. If it was a spade, they need to hit it over cover or point. And if it was a diamond, they needed to hit it behind the keeper. So, for example, if they held up a heart and they had to hit it straight, it didn't matter where the ball was bowled. They just needed to hit it straight. And after each ball, they would run. And if they were able to hit it straight, their partner, the other batter, would say, yep, I'll give you a point there. So what was happening there is the batters had a competition going on. They didn't care where the ball was. They just wanted to get a point and hit the ball in that direction. The bowlers didn't care if they got the batter out or anything like that. They only cared if they bowled that ball, they'd turn around. If the other three bowlers put their finger up and said, yep, you bowled that correct ball, they'd get a point. So after each four minutes, I would have one batter on more points than the other and one bowler on more points than the other. And we had this score chart that was just running and I only intended on playing this for a couple of weeks and it ended up going for the whole term. And I said, look guys, I can't keep playing this. And what happened was it was so engaging that I'd have kids that were injured and they would still come and try and be part of it because they wanted to stay on the leaderboard. They wanted to keep their ranking and for me that was so powerful because yes it was practicing skills because you think about cricket particularly in t20 these days you need to be able to bowl certain balls at certain parts of the time you need to be able to bowl a yorker when needed you need to be able to bowl a slower ball bouncer ball uh, in the later stages innings and as batters um if the field is all behind the batter it doesn't matter where the ball is you're gonna have to play like a tennis swat shot to hit the ball straight because there's no fielders there so that sort of uh, example worked really well for those students. But then again, I wouldn't have used that with my primary school kids because I didn't want it to be so competitive. I wanted it all about them being challenged, being engaged and developing and enjoying cricket. Whereas my older ones, they already love cricket and they needed the challenge. They needed that instrument reward of seeing their name on a leaderboard and seeing if they were progressing or decreasing down. So as you can see, you've got to figure out your clients and what their needs are and what your outcomes want to be in. And for me, for those older kids, it was more about the engagement of seeing their name up there because they were all very good. They were all good at cricket and they just wanted to be on top of that leaderboard. 
Uh, and I'm just thinking or through here and I'm trying to think of some good ways to do that through rugby and those who are listening in thinking, uh, oh, I could definitely use my cricket, but there may be with a rugby angle on it. They may be looking at uh, 2v1s or 1v1s and uh, the defender's got to use a different sort of a skill to the attacker. Uh, they've got to use maybe a different sort of pass, different sort of tackle, different sort of defensive uh, alignment, come from a different angle, all, all sorts of different things we could add in. Another thing that um, I think I might, some some of my gamification stuff is um, I've accidentally used, and I'm sure that coaches probably have done some of these things accidentally, and then say, well, actually, that's that's why that worked, which is just as important, really, as trying out for the first time. Is that I've sometimes used um, bonus boards where uh, I know that uh, some players might not get it right in one area, but they got a, they can get bonus points in another area, and then they can say, well, at least I've got two or three bonus points for doing something like that. And often that one is the uh, the effort cup or the effort reward at the end of the session. Though I must say that I'm not a fan of giving out awards at the end of the sessions because um, I think it can cause a lot of, um, a lot of problems um, uh, ahead. But Dale, first of all, I'm, I'm going to uh, wrap it up there. I know that you've probably got about a thousand other games uh, <laughs> to share with us. But so just, just to say that you do have all these uh, resources out there and lots of people are probably listening and thinking, right, where do I find it? So just give us some clear direction to where we've got to uh, look. Uh, yeah, so I do have a lot of games out there. They all started for me creating mobile apps. Um, so there's a couple uh, – I created about 30 down. I got a little bit, cra- a little bit crazy. And uh, so there's a couple out there. If you just go onto iTunes or Google Play and type in Dale Sidebottom, um, probably some that are really good for the uh, rugby setting or coaching. There's one called PE Shake where you shake the device and there's 150 fun little warm-up games you can use. Um, so that's probably one there. But where I've put all my energy for the last three and a half years, Dan, is the Fitness Game Zone. Um, so fitnessgamezone.com, you can go and check that out. Um, and basically that's got over 650 games on there now. So I think there's like 120 sort of icebreaker games like I just mentioned there. And, and what I've done is that I've either had myself recorded coaching one of these sessions or um, each one's got a video. So what I call it, it's like Netflix and Stan for coaches, teachers, and instructors. And it's got team building games. It's got any type of game, you name it, it's on there. And, and a lot of these games have blank templates. So I'll have it with different fitness movements, but then there's also a blank printable game you can use as well and you can incorporate rugby you can incorporate cricket incorporate whatever you want um and what i've found on there as well dan is that we've got learning courses i think there's about 50 hours now of professional develop learning on there from some of the best coaches in the world um and it's basically a one-stop shop that uh you can go and check all these things out so and if any listeners are listening today um when you check out, just type in energetic as the code word um, and you'll get 50% off. Um, happy to do that because what I've found is that if you can figure out your connection starters, like I just said there at the start of this interview, there's about 100 of those on there. Go through and find ones that work for you and, and create that routine and you will have the most amazing sessions ever. And and that's what I've found in um, – Sorry, off topic a little bit here, Dan, but when I first started doing my workshops, I started with the icebreakers just because I thought that's what you do. And what I found was all the feedback was, oh, we love the icebreakers at the start. And I'm like, well, it wasn't even really about that. It was about the main stuff I was trying to focus on. 
But that's what people want. And and, and what they said, in, and I wanted to elaborate on this a little bit, was why did you love it so much? And I go, well, you broke the ice. You made everyone feel comfortable, and we had a great day because of that. Nobody does that. Nobody starts their sessions with three or four icebreakers that aren't about winning and losing, and it's just all about fun and connecting. And so from there, I'm like, well, there's something in this. So I've gone and created a lot more. And like the ones I've just mentioned there, stop, go, name, clap, jump, dance, uh, the buddies everywhere, they are all on there, and there are a truckload more so if you want to check that out energetic as the code word in capitals when you check out and you'll get 50% off oh brilliant that's very kind Dale and it's great for you to share um, the ideas behind it and really from my point of view I've loved this uh, podcast because you've answered uh, a number of the questions which probably I needed just to make sure that I understood and also you just give me a whole bunch of ideas around how I might go out and take my coaching forward and I'm sure lots of people as well uh, will have come away with some uh, fantastic ideas but also it's not just about the ideas it's the way that you implement it and the reasons behind it because without that I think one of the words you used very at the very start was authentic if it's not authentic it's not worth doing and you've got to be yourself uh, I think lots of people would like to be like you, Dale, in terms of your <laughs> in terms of your energy. Uh, maybe they wouldn't want to be Australian, but we can we can leave that. But uh, that's my only my only Australian dig after I made a mistake by suggesting that uh, England were better than Australia at cricket, which has never been the case ever. Uh, also, just wanted to reiterate that there is there are steps in the way that you're doing this. You can't just jump in. Um, uh, and just to expect things to happen, you have to build it up over time. Uh, and that's why it's been authentic, it's been uh, important. That's why having the philosophy of the engagement and the fun is important. But realize that it comes from creating safe environments, pe- uh, people and players and athletes who are ready to learn. And that doesn't happen just uh, just overnight so dale that that's been brilliant i've really enjoyed that I, um thank you very much for your usual energetic but also uh, self but also the clarity that you've given us uh, in the podcast Ah, oh, damn my pleasure mate and thank you so much for uh allowing me to be on your show mate it's really really nice and i really enjoyed the questions the way they flowed and um if people are listening and they're like i don't really agree or i don't understand or they want more on it feel free to email me or, or on twitter um i'm just d- at dale sidebottom um and i'm always happy to help people out because the more engagement we can have and, and not only that build the fun dan i think it's better for everybody involved so once again mate thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show mate i really appreciate it uh, no, my, my pleasure, and it's uh, it's all about building uh, better connections uh, with with everybody who's involved in it. And certainly, for me, the things that you've said today are just adding enormous weight to the way that we want to coach. So thanks again, Dale, for that. And thank you very much for everyone for listening in. If you want to find out more about Dale, uh, then uh, go to the websites, which I am going to put uh, underneath in the podcast notes. And thank you very much for listening. If you want to learn more, go to the rugbycoachweekly.net website, click on podcasts uh, for more about this podcast and many others. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. 
If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to RugbyCoachWeekly.net and click on the Blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.